are on air for the Texas California NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. We are uh, going to uh, preview a number of races today, including the double header this weekend at uh, the Arca West. They'll be racing at All American Speedway on Friday and then at Kern County Raceway on Sunday. Uh, in the next half hour, we will preview the NASCAR Truck Series at Texas, along with the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and we'll wrap up with the Cup Series all at Texas Motor Speedway. 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and joining me uh, tonight as co-host is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. I know Mike can't make hot topics. Uh, I'm hoping you have good news that Andy is. Well, I think uh, I, I'm not sure about Andy. I, I, I'm trying to remember what he said, if he's going to uh, be here tonight or it's going to be next week before he's able to be here. But uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Hopefully Andy will be able to make it. Um, okay, so with that, uh, let's go ahead and get into our Arca Menard series. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, they are going to do a double header uh, this weekend. They're they're going to be at two different racetracks in three days, so it's going to be a busy weekend for them. On Friday, they'll be racing the Napa Auto Parts 125, presented by CashInTheCan.com, and on Sunday. They'll be racing the Napa Enyos 125, presented by the West Coast Sack Car Hall of Fame, and that's on Sunday. So uh, they'll be at All American Speedway on Friday night and over in Bakersfield at Kern County Raceway on Sunday. So let's go ahead and get into some of the details here. Uh, the Friday night race for Friday, October the 23rd, will start at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll be able to watch that race live streaming if you're an NBC Gold member on Track Pass. If not, there'll be a delayed broadcast on Wednesday, October the 28th, and that will take place at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, this is a .333-mile paved oval, and they will have qualifying at 3 o'clock uh, local time, uh, at that, on that day, so uh, definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, that would be about six o'clock our uh, Eastern time. So uh, if uh, you'd like to catch that again, check out the live streaming. For the next race on Sunday, the Napa Enyos One Twenty Five, presented by West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame, will be at Kern County Raceway on Sunday, the twenty fifth. That race will take place at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, it will be available on Track Pass as well as the delayed broadcast on Thursday, October the 29th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a half-mile paved oval. They will have uh, the uh, qualifying at 11.10 a.m. local time. And, uh, again, that will be at Kern County Raceway. So uh, a lot to look forward to here. Uh, a doubleheader uh, just before their season finale at Phoenix, uh, Jay. So uh, a big weekend for these teams. It is, and we've seen them do this before. When we talk about the doubleheader not being at the same track or even uh, 
closer than what they are. But we have seen this Arkham and Ards West do this once already this season. They did a phenomenal job with it. So I'm kind of intrigued by it. Uh, definitely intrigued. We've got two different teams that uh, are kind of in the running here uh, for the um, uh, championship. Jesse Love has been leading uh, for most of the season. He's with Bill McAnally Racing, but there's another team uh, not far behind him, and that's uh, Blaine Perkins. He has a chance to really close the gap here this weekend. Uh, and on the same token, Jesse Love has a chance to extend his gap uh, after this weekend is over. Uh, of course, Jesse Love is from Bill McAnally. Bill Lane Perkins is from Brumcotti Racing. And those are the teams that are uh, dominating that top five group. Well, I we'll talk about it. Gracie Trotter coming off her victory trying to work her way back in minus 31 points behind love and Perkins could still be a wild card factor come down to these final three races, uh, depending on the outcome of them. Exactly right. It is going to be interesting. Gracie Trotter, uh, has learned a lot this season and it's showing up at the racetrack track. She, uh, made some history, uh, as the first female to win under the Arkham Menard Series banner. So, uh, again, just three races remaining this season. Love is the 15-year-old rookie running the n- number 19 Napa Power Premium Plus Toyota for Bill McAnally Racing. Again, he holds that 16-point lead over 20-year-old uh, Blaine Perkins, who's racing the number 9 Sunrise Ford for Bob Bruncati. Now, Trotter, at 19 years, uh, right in between those guys, uh, earned a five, has earned five top five finishes in seven West races prior to her victory at Las Vegas. And uh, she's certainly going to be a factor this weekend. Well, I think so. And, again, I, I would like to see it come down to, uh, again, if we had our way as fans, all three of those drivers be within contention when it comes down to Phoenix. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, to have multiple drivers uh, battling for it in that final race. I know that's why they set up the playoffs the way they have in NASCAR's top three, but we've seen it in some of these lower series that we don't necessarily need it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, I will say Gracie Trotter is from Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, Gia Skelsey is in fourth place. Uh, he's another BMR car, and Trevor Huddleston in that Bob Brumcotti Sunrise Ford uh, is in fifth place to round out the top five drivers uh, in the series. And overall, overall, you look at that top five, uh, again, when we look as far as we go back to the top tens, eight races, six is the lowest number of top tens in that, uh, in that group. So that tells you where these guys are finishing, why they are. But you move up to the top fives, and that's where Jesse Love has that advantage. All eight of his finishes then in the top five. That's, a, that's tough to beat when you add up the total points at the end of the year. And when you think about his age, at just 15 years of age, he's really had a phenomenal year. Uh, now, you mentioned this isn't the first time that we've had multiple races in a weekend. Uh, the first was the same-day doubleheader at Utah Motorsports Campus in June, uh, which was split by Love and Perkins as the two drivers who won. 
Uh, they both earned their first career victories there. The second was in early August at Evergreen Speedway and Douglas County Speedway. Both of those races were run by Perkins or won by Perkins. And then Love and Perkins are tied with a series high three wins this season, but Love enters the weekend uh, with edges over his rival in the top five uh, finishes again, eight to six top ten finishes, uh, three. I'm not quite sure how to read how they've got it here, so I'm going to skip that section. Uh, Trotter, meanwhile, is the only driver who's matched Love Series High, 889 laps completed this season. They're the only two who have completed 100% of the ARCA West laps this year. Well, I was comparing top fives, which is eight to six in favor. I'm sorry, eight to six in favor of Jesse Love over Blaine Perkins. As one as well as one additional top ten finish, eight to seven. Blaine Perkins only having seven of eight top ten finishes, so he is minus that one in the top ten. And again, that's the sixteen point gap. Gotcha. Okay, so um, let's uh, take a look at the entry list for both of these races. Let me see if I can find that uh, link here. Okay, oh. here's the entry. You're going to go, with go the first through race? the uh, crew chief handoff. Oh, okay, okay go ahead. Under mm-hmm. the crew chief handout, the starting field for the Napa Auto Parts 150 presented by CashInTheCam.com will be limited to 16 plus provisional positions, which I believe there were 13 on the entry list I saw at least for the first race. And so that won't be a factor will be run under the 2020 Arkham Menard Series rules, procedures, and regulations specifications. The starting positions will be set by each car's fastest lap recorded in a qualifying session. The race pit stop. No adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. There will be a maximum of four crew members may service the car. They're in pitting during this event. will be for making repairs and adjustments and or adding fuel only. No tires can be chewed changed without ARC approval. Okay. Uh, this will be a 125-lap race covering 41.25 miles, and it's to be run in one segment. So uh, there won't be a lot of uh, in-between stops here. Uh, the maximum tire allotment available for this event is uh, per the ARCA rule book. There will be a maximum of tires allowed in the pit box for use in the race is a total of eight. So that's where we are for this first race. Uh, you mentioned 13 drivers on the entry list. I'll start with the 13th driver, uh, and we'll go bottom up. That's uh, I'll start with her, and then we'll go two by two. Uh, Gracie Trotter right. in the number 99 for Bill McAnally Racing's Toyota with Roger Bracken on the pit box. Sarah Burgess, how about that, is on top of the pit box, they say, for Bridget Burgess, uh, she'll be driving the number 88 Toyota for their own team. And I'm in sorry, the Don I did Wood do number two. Seven. I meant to do just one. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Well, uh, I'll go yeah, ahead but... and do the next two here. Uh, the number 78 owned by Don Wood going to be dri- driven by Jack Wood with Ty Joyner, Ty Joyner above the uh, pit box there for that Toyota. 
and the 77 Toyota of Joe Nava. That'll be driven by Takuma Koga with Chris Greeny as his crew chief. In the number 50 for Bill McAnally Racing is Holly Holland. She'll be driving uh, his Toyota for, with Henry Nascimento on top of the pit box. And Henry Mann will be on top of the pit box for Bobby Hillis Jr. in the number 27, uh, his own team. In the Okay, that's two. <laughs> All right, next up, we got a little bit of a change here on the West. Uh, uh, Venturini Motorsports entered the number 25. That'll be Mason Diaz in that Toyota with Kevin Reed as the crew chief. And then we mentioned the championship leader, Jesse Love, in the number 19 McAnally Toyota. Jason Dickinson is his crew chief. In the number 17 is Taylor Gray for DGR Crossley, and he'll be driving the Ford. They don't know, they don't have it listed here who the crew chief is, so stay tuned for that. Uh, John Camilleri uh, will be in the Bill McAnally uh, number, will be the crew chief for the number 16, driven by Gio Scalzi. Just battling, trying to get a little bit closer up in points to 13. That'll be Todd Souza in the Kelly Souza-owned Toyota. Michael Munoz as the crew chief. And Jeff Schrader, as he's been with Blaine Perkins all year in that Brumcotti number nine, that duo battling it out with the number nine Ford. Okay, another Bob Brumcotti uh, uh, Ford is driven by Trevor Huddleston, the number six, uh, with Bill Sedgwick as his uh, crew chief. So there you have it, the drivers uh, that will be racing in that first of two races uh, this weekend, this race being at uh, uh, All-American Speedway, uh, and uh, definitely looking for that. That's in Roseburg. Okay, so let's take a look at the second race. Uh, This race, again, will be on Saturday, uh, and uh, will be start at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, let's see, are there any differences between what's in the crew chief handout here, Jay? Um, scanning there through is it a real qualifying quick. Session. Yep, and it will uh, set the full field because this one does have 16 on the entry list. We'll get to the uh, additional ones on that in just a minute. Scanning through the rest of it, it looks to be the same. Again, maximum of uh, four members for the pit crew. The maximum tire allotment per the rule book uh, is eight, so those both appear to be the same. Okay, they are racing 125 laps over 62.5 miles, and that is, again, to be run in one segment. Uh, The other thing is that... uh, All cars are going to be inspected before race day qualifying. Inspection headquarters at the Speedway are going to open at uh, 4 p.m. local time Saturday, and the cars will be checked in for inspection after 4.50. Any cars that are in after 4.50 will be penalized uh, if allowed to compete. All cars are subject to ARCA control from the time they pass inspection until they're officially released after the race, and ARCA reserves the right to impound and or confiscate any part, equipment, and or race car that is altered in violation of the rule book. So uh, that 
part is going to be a little bit uh, different. Again, qualifying sessions will be held for this particular race on uh, Saturday. All right, and if we slide over to the entry list, what are we looking for? Three different ones. Um, I see two. Where's the third one? Well, I know there's Kyle Keller in in the number seven for Jerry Pitt's team. Uh, That's a Ford, and Jerry Pitt's will be on top of the pit box for that car. So you can watch for Kyle Keller in that number seven. Well, and it looks like Kevin Reed Jr. going to be crew chief in the number 20 for Ryan Repco, which is a Venturini uh, Toyota. So they'll have two of their Venturini Toyotas there. And then it looks like the number 54 is the third one that's different. Correct. And uh, Mike Naoki will be the crew chief uh, for his own team there. Uh, Joey Iast will be driving the number 54 uh, for that team. So... There are the three different drivers uh, in that series. Let's go ahead and cover the point standings, Jay. All right. Well, we talked about the top two being separated by 16 points. Third place being Gracie Trotter, who is minus 31 back. I think we got all the way through the top five, but I'll hit them real quick. Gio Skelzy uh, in the fourth position at minus 44. And Trevor Huddleston at minus 51. Mentioned Todd Souza. He's in the sixth position there. One top five, seven top tens, puts him minus 61. Holly Holland, we've talked about in her eight races, six top tens, puts her minus 74. A spot, that would be Takuma Koga. Talked about him having a good year, uh, five top tens in eight starts, sitting at minus 84. Bobby Hillis Jr., the ninth spot, is minus 94, has four top tens. Those are the nine drivers that have made all eight starts. The 10th spot, mentioned her on the list of both races, Bridget Burgess, six starts, three top tens, puts her at minus 207. That's correct. Uh, So that makes it pretty cool. Bridget Burgess, it looks like she's got a um, a British flag there. And Takuma Koga, of course, is from Japan. So that makes this an international race as well. I uh, just want to cover the average start and finishes for the top two drivers. Uh, it really is remarkable what they've been able to accomplish uh, this year between Jesse Love at just 15, Blaine Perkins at 20. Uh, Blaine Perkins has an average start of 2.6. His average finish is 4.1. Jesse Love has an average start of 2.5. His average finish is 2.1. Just remarkable Uh, again, what he's been able to accomplish. Well, and that's where I've said this all along. I feel a little bad because some of these other drivers having phenomenal years uh, by their own standard, Gracie Trotter being the one with one victory, also has that 4.1 average finish. However, her start is 6.8, a little bit below those other two drivers. So it has a little bit of work to do to catch up. But you go all the way through – the top five there, Trevor Huddleston in fifth, his average finish is 6.2. So that finish is uh, lining up with where they are in points. I mean, that's uh, what it comes yeah. down to is that one or two positions. <laughs> yes, indeed, uh, without a doubt. So uh, real proud of all of these guys, uh, real proud of the series. Uh, they're going to get all ten races in the season 
Oh, I think that's fantastic. And they've done it because they've had those three separate occasions that they've doubled up on their races over the course of a weekend. And they're doing that again this weekend uh, out there in California. And uh, it's going to be a pretty big deal. Two of the ARCA Series uh, teams have determined who their champions are, Jay. We had um, Brett Holmes on on um, Monday night, your ARCA Menard Series champion. And then we've talked to throughout the throughout the course of the year, Sam Mayer picking up his second consecutive Arkham Menards now East Series uh, victory uh, championship. Yes, indeed. Uh, so two out of three of those series, uh, the season is in the books. The last uh, series to complete out their season is the Arkham Menards Series with three races left to this weekend. And then watch for them to be in Phoenix for the finale weekend for the NASCAR's top three series, as well as this ARCA West series. And uh, it's going to be a big weekend out there in Phoenix in a few weeks here. It certainly is. As we saw here, at least on this second race, um, three additional drivers coming in for that second race, two of them being Venturini Motorsports coming from the main Arkham and Ard series, as well as the East. So I think that race at Phoenix, you could see even a few more added to that list as these teams uh, don't have anything else left to run for the season that we might see more additional ones come that final event at Phoenix. Yes, indeed. So uh, we've got a lot to look forward to uh, with what's left here in the ARCA series, uh, particularly the ARCA West. And as you mentioned, these drivers are kind of jumping across the lines here to race in these different series, which uh, I think is a good thing. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing who shows up out there in Phoenix uh, from the East Coast. And I've got a feeling we're seeing a couple of Venturini cars now. Uh, We might see a few more come Phoenix. Now, Jay, we've got... um, We promised everybody an update on the Fam for Racing Fantasy Group, Uh, so we've got a few extra minutes here. Let's go ahead and cover that while we've got some time. All right. Well, I'll start with the uh, truck series, and as we wrap up now, we got, what, three races left in every series uh, with the points leader of Andy. I'm sorry. I take that back. Sam is now your points leader in the truck series at 92 oh. points. With three Good races left, you have to be sitting at at, 40, at 50 points. Uh, which, Sharon, you're right above that cut line. You're at 52, so you have not been eliminated yet mathematically. However, you've <laughs> got to pick up all the points, and Andy and uh, Sam have to get basically none. Uh, I'm not far above you there. Mike is at 55. I'm at 59. So not a whole lot of breathing room there. But up at the top, Sam at 92, Andy at 90, James is in the third at 80, and Owen at 72. And before I go into the Xfinity series, I will say this. Out of the 42 points available where all three series have been running each week, Sam has been or, I'm sorry, James has been knocking out 30 of those. So he's making a late, wow. late comeback here. That's awesome. That's totally awesome. All right. On the Xfinity side, there, Andy has had a pretty solid control of that one, sitting at 135 points. 
which means 93 was the cut line. And that unfortunately pushes out Sam already at 65. Mike is only at 90. So those two have been pushed out already. Owen at 97 has a little bit of breathing room, but again, going to have to have max points with the leaders having minimal points. Uh, James comes in there at 100. Sharon, you're at 106. I'm at 118, and Andy is at 135. And just because I was in second place, I did a quick calculation on that. I think I got to pick up 16 points per race. Uh, no, that can't be right. Where did I figure that? Oh, that was on the overall. Sorry, that was on the overall um, for that. Again, it, the 93 points is the mathematical cutoff for there. Cup side, this one's a little bit, uh, little bit tighter uh, at the top. But the cutoff line would be at 120, and that uh, has eliminated Mike is at 102. Sharon, you were at 103. And Owen just outside of that at 119. James did sneak above that cut line at 126, but he's in that boat where, again, he's got to have max points. That leaves three of us there. Sam is at 142, which means it could be done in uh, one race or close to one race. I'm at 161. Andy has retaken the points lead here at 162. So we got a one-point difference there as well, two points in the truck series. Well, it looks now, like it's pretty tight <laughs> uh, overall. And do a – if we got a – yeah, we still got a couple minutes. The overall, um, the cut line would be 261. Mike is the only one out there at 247. Sharon, you are on the cut line, which means you absolutely have to have max points with the points leader of Andy having zero all, all nine races that are left. So uh, oh, that tells you the situation you're That's in. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're sitting at 261. Just scooting up. Owen's at 288. Sam is at 299. James moved in at 306 now. I'm at 338. And then Andy sits the top of the heap at 387. And that's where out of the 42 points per week, I know I have to gain an average of 16 points per week uh, in order to catch him. And with James picking up the 30 points every week so far, I told him, I said, he's putting a little bit tougher on me. Yep, yep. But it's good to see some new names in this group. And uh, I, I think that's awesome that we're seeing people, uh, you know, move up to the top there and uh, compete <laughs> in in all three of these series. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to see the new names in that group. We have, and I know Mike got a late start in, in all of the series, the Cup Series, not as much, which that's why he's still in that one. But, again, we've had a lot of fun with it. So it's it's been a, a lot of fun. And I know I take care of the notes and all that. Uh, I really do enjoy it. It's been a blast. It has been. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to coordinate and tally and report and, and everything that you do uh, to ensure that this kind of continues. I know you kind of remind everybody every week what the picking order is. And and uh, it's it's no walk in the park, I'm sure. But you keep up with it very, very well. And uh, we really appreciate all the work that you put into it today. It is my pleasure. 
Okay, let's go ahead and get started with NASCAR's top three. And uh, the first one that we'll start with is the uh, Truck Series. And they are going to be racing this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. So uh, a lot of fun there. Uh, I'm really hoping that things uh, get better next year and maybe I can make it out to Texas Motor Speedway uh, for one of these races. I would love to be there. Uh, So we'll have to kind of see what happens as this next season unfolds. But the uh, Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series is racing the SpeedyCash.com 400 on Sunday, a different day for them. It says October the 35th. Well, we know that's not going to happen. I believe that is October the 25th. Uh, The time is at 12 noon, and they will be televising the pre-race coverage starting at 11 a.m. on Fox Sports 1. They also have coverage on radio at MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 220.5 miles over 147 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 35. Stage 2 is another 35 laps and ends on lap 70. And the final stage ends on the last lap, and that will be lap 147. Well, if ever there were a year to have October the 35th, it would be the year 2020, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we're going to start with some news here for the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. We talked about this on Monday night as we got word of it. Haley Deegan is moving to the full-time Gander Truck Series, which will be rebranded back to the Camping World Truck Series for 2021. Now, she made her debut Truck Series debut last weekend at Kansas in the number 17 for DGR Crosley. She took home a 16th place finish in that debut. During the race, it was announced that she will transition to what will be the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series in 2021 with DGR Crosley full-time. And Deegan joined the Ford Performance family back in December of 2019 and was also named the 2020 Arkham Nard Series Bounty Rookie of the Year. She finished third in the ARCA championship standings and made her debut in a Ford at Daytona, finishing runner-up. She accumulated 17 top tens and four top fives in the 20 races this season. All other details on her 2021 season will be announced at a later date. Okay, now I know I'm real, real excited about this next one. James Busher is returning to the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, He's a former champion, and he's making a return at Texas Motor Speedway for Nice Motorsports. Uh, Busher is from Texas. He has 10 starts at the track with five top 10s, and he's never finished outside the top 20 in those starts. Busher is going to be racing with the support from FHE, a manufacturer of Fracklock, and Busher won the championship in 2012 and has 119 Gander truck starts, most recently in 2015. In total, he has six career wins, five poles, and 31 top five finishes. Real excited to see James Busher back behind the wheel of one of these trucks. That is another one. You're right. And again, we know at Nice Motorsports kind of trying to sort out where they're going to go for their future. So, This is just another addition of that as they bring in 
uh, past a w- driver winner like uh, James Busher. Yes, indeed. Uh, you want to cover the clinch scenarios here? All right. For the Lone Star Edition uh, clinch scenario, Brett Moffitt clinched a spot in the final four, while the other three spots are up for grabs. The clinch scenarios for this weekend's race at Texas, knowing that any driver could clinch a shot at the championship with a win. If there is a new winner, a clinch via points, the following driver has to be 56 points above the second winless driver in the standings, and that would be Sheldon Creed, but it would take some help. Now, if there's a repeat winner, that being Brett Moffitt, uh, then we got a couple of drivers that being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. And they would also clinch if there was a new winner among Sheldon Creed or Austin Hill and being 56 points then above the second winless driver. Now, that's Sheldon Creed, and again, needs some help, as well as Austin Hill. They can only clinch with help uh, if they're not the winner. Okay. Now, next we'll look at each of the uh, uh, round of eight playoff drivers We'll start from the bottom up, two by two, and uh, kind of give you their stats. Uh, Tyler Ankrum right now is eighth, and he's in that last playoff spot, 56 points above, below the cut line for the round of four, or the championship four. This weekend will mark his fourth career start at Texas. He has one top five and has finished in the top ten in all of his starts. He could definitely use a track with some good performance as it's looking more and more like a must-win situation for Tyler Ankrum to make the championship for. He does have an average start of 7.7 with an average finish of 5.0. Earlier this season at Texas, he finished sixth. Ben Rhodes is seventh in the playoff standings. He's 33 points below that cut line. And Sunday will mark his 10th start at Texas. He has two top fives, four top tens, and he has an average start of 11.4 with an average finish of 11.9. Earlier this season, he started 10th and finished 9th. He has a best finish of runner-up in this race in 2018. Well, then we get to the veteran, Matt Crafton, actually a couple of uh, semi-veterans. Matt Crafton, 15 points below the cut line, puts him in six, but he heads to Texas with the most success of any playoff driver. He will make his 40th start at Texas on Sunday. On Sunday. He's had two wins, 17 top fives, and 28 top tens in those starts. His average start of 12.5 and finish of 8.6. He's led 431 laps, completed 97.7% of the laps attempted. Most recently finished third there earlier this season. That puts us up to Grant Grant Infinger. He's the first driver below the cut line with 3,057 points. He'll make his ace start at the track, has four top fives and six top tens in his seven total starts, and he's never finished worse than 12th. His best finish came in his debut back in 2017, where he finished third. Earlier this season, he started second and finished eighth. He's maintained an average start position of 7.3, while his average finish is a flat 6.0. Okay, next up we have Zane Smith, the rookie. He'll be making his second start at Texas this Sunday. His first start at the track came earlier this year when he started sixth 
and finished 19th. Now, Smith currently occupies that final spot above the cut line, and he has seven points to the good with 3,064 points. Next up is Austin Hill in third place. He's 19 points above the cut line, and he has eight starts at Texas with one top five and two top tens. He has an average start of 14.2. His average finish is 16.0. Now, earlier this season, he didn't finish the race, and that was because of an engine issue. He did finish 30th in that race. In 2018, he got his best finish at the track, and that was a fifth-place finish. Looking at the top two, you got Sheldon Creed. He's currently sitting second in the standings right now. 26 points above the cut line with 3,083 points. A little bit of a margin, but not a whole lot of breathing room. He'll make his fifth start at Texas on Sunday as well. He has one top 10 at the track, and it came in this race in 2019. Earlier this season, he started on the pole but finished 16th. His average start is 4.5, but he's got to improve on the average finish of 17.2. Now we got Brett Moffitt. Uh, He still wants to have a good day at Texas, even though he's already locked into that championship four. Sunday will be his fifth start at Texas. He has two top fives and two top tens in those starts. Average finish, or I'm sorry, average start is 5.0. The average finish of 11.2. He has the best finish of third. That came in 2018. Earlier this season, he finished fifth. He's led a total of 40 laps at Texas, but he wants to maintain that momentum he's got following his victory. Yes, indeed. Now, the the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series heads to Texas Motor Speedway for some unusual Sunday afternoon action at the Lone Star State. There will actually be the opening uh, race before the Cup Series races later that afternoon. Now, last week in the series took on Kansas Speedway. Brett Moffat was victorious for the first time this season and punched his ticket to the championship four. Moffitt's GMS racing teammate and fellow playoff driver Sheldon Creed finished in second place. Austin Hill, another playoff driver, finished in third. Grant Infinger in fourth, and Chandler Smith rounds out that top five. Creed swept both stages and led 61 laps, but it was Moffitt that was able to hold on for the most important ones at the end of the race. Now, the race had four cautions. Let's go a little too far here. Uh, for 24 laps and 13 lead changes among nine different drivers. This weekend, the SpeedyCash.com 400 again will start at uh, with pre-race coverage at 12 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1 with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, there's two more chances left for these drivers to secure their spot into the championship four, and with only three spaces left, Uh, More and more is at stake for each of these drivers. Now, Kyle Busch won the Gander Trucks race earlier this year at Texas. Christian Eckes, who was eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, finished second, and playoff driver Matt Crafton finished third, the highest finishing driver still fighting for the championship. Also at the race in July, there were five cautions for 26 laps and 15 lead changes. The margin of victory was 0.777 seconds. 
Frampton is the only current playoff driver with a previous win at Texas, and he and his Thor Sport Racing teammate and veteran Johnny Sauter are the only two active drivers with any win at the track. Now, Sunday's race, uh, again, is going to be 147 laps. Creed will start on the pole. Moffat is joining him on the front row, followed by Hill, Enfinger, Chandler Smith, Zane Smith, Crafton, Rhodes, Ankrum, and Eckes. They will be the top ten drivers for this race. So uh, uh, it's kind of cool to see them racing on a Sunday instead of a uh, Thursday or Friday, or even Saturday for that matter. Interesting to have them race as a, as an opening race uh, on the same day as the Cup Series. I know we've seen this before in the past. Again, NASCAR did what they had to do with this schedule to make it all work. And I know Texas has a limited number of fans throughout the weekend, so it kind of plays into that. Hopefully works out the best for all involved. Okay. We're a little bit ahead of schedule here, Jay, but I think considering that we've been running out of time, For the uh, Cup Series, I'm going to kind of move right into the Xfinity Series and see if we can't uh, make sure we get everything in this time. Uh, Let's go with uh, the O'Reilly Auto Parts 300 at Texas Motor Speedway this Saturday, October the 24th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The NBC coverage will start at 4 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 300 miles over 200 laps. Stage 1 and Stage 2 are 45 laps each, with Stage 2 ending on lap 90, and the final stage, of course, ends on the last lap, lap 200. All right, for the Xfinity Series, got a couple of notes here. First off, again, another one we talked about. We knew it was coming, but moving up, Chase Briscoe and Stuart Haas Racing announced that Chase Briscoe is being promoted to the number 14 Ford in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2021. As he competes for the Xfinity Series title, the 25-year-old will be readying for his Cup Series debut in 2021, with High Point, a sponsor that joined Briscoe in 2019, to serve as a primary sponsor on that number 14. Also, it was announced this week that Haley is back in the number 11 with Colleague Racing announcing that uh, earlier this week, and uh, that will be for the 2021 season. He will be the first driver to return for a third season with Colleague Racing, and he's earned three wins, 38 top tens, and 13 top fives with the team. He also added his name to an elite list with Dale Earnhardt and Dale Earnhardt Jr. as a driver to win three super speedway races in a row. Haley, at just 21, became one of 34 drivers and the second youngest to record a win in all three of NASCAR's National Series. All right, as we get in... There we go. The Lone Star, this for the Xfinity Series, the Lone Star State Edition... Again, Chase Briscoe has clinched a spot in the final four, while three other spots are up for grabs. The clinch scenarios for this weekend's Texas race with a reminder that any driver can clinch and win their way in with that victory. When we look at a clinch via points, if there's a new winner, 
The following driver could clinch being 56 points above the second winless driver in the standings, and that's Justin Algar if he gets some help. If there's a repeat winner, the following could clinch by 56 above the third winless driver in the standings. They would also clinch if there is a new winner among Chase Algar or Justin Algar and Brandon Jones and being 56 then points above the second winless driver. That's Justin Algar and Brandon Jones. Again, both of them would need help points-wise if they were to try and go that route. Okay, next up we'll look at the Texas stats for the top eight drivers here in the playoffs, Uh, starting with Noah Gregson. He took a huge hit last weekend when he plummeted from above the cut line to the last spot in the round of eight standings. Right now he's in a must-win situation when they come into Texas and Martinsville, he's 33 points below that cut line heading into Texas. This will be his fourth start at the track. Unfortunately, he did not finish the race in his last two starts because of crashes. His best finish, his best start came at his debut in 2019. He started 16th and finished 13th. He'll have to fight for points and a good finish this Saturday. Ryan Sieg jumped up one spot in the standings and is now seventh with 3,042 points. His third-place finish just last weekend uh, was not enough to jump ahead of the cut line. Right now he's 17 points below that cut line, and he's made 13 starts at Texas during his career and has three top tens. He did not have a good run there earlier this season because of a suspension issue, and he ended up finishing in 29th. So uh, both of those drivers uh, looking for good things to happen at Texas. Well, it looks like I'll cover the pair of colleague racing machines. The number 10, Ross Chastain, he heads to Texas six point, or sixth place in the standings. He's got 11 starts at Texas with one top five and two top tens. Earlier this, season, earlier this season, he finished ninth, but his best finish came in this race in 2019, finishing runner-up to then-winner Christopher Bell. He has an average start of 17.6 with an average finish 17.0. He's currently 12 points below the cut line, starting with the three, or sitting at 3,042. Now his teammate, Justin Haley, in the number 11, he's sitting fifth in the standings with 3,057 points and is only two points, a mere two points, below the cut line. Saturday will be Haley's fourth start at Texas, where he has two top tens and finished eighth at the race earlier this season. His first start there was in 2019, where he finished seventh. Okay, next up, uh, Austin Sindrick actually fell in the standings uh, because of an early incident with his fellow playoff driver, Noah Gregson, at Kansas. But he is taking that final spot uh, above the cut line right now. He's two points to the good, and there's not a better racetrack to come to than Texas, where he won earlier this season. Uh, This will be his sixth start at the track with one win. He has three top fives and four top tens. His average start there is 10.0, and his average finish is 5.4. He's also led 82 laps at Texas Motor Speedway. In third place is Brandon Jones. He made a huge jump in the standings after his performance at Kansas and heading into 
Kansas, he was below the cut line, and now he's sitting nine points above in third place in the standings. Now, Jones has nine starts at Texas. He has one top five and four top tens. Earlier this year, he finished seventh, but he has a best finish of fourth at the same race in 2019. His average start is 8.7. His average finish, on the other hand, is 17.9. All right. Top two, the number seven junior motorsports team, Justin Algar. He had a good performance at Kansas last weekend, jumped up one spot in the standings. He now sits second with 3,068 points and is 11 points above that cut line. Algar will make his 21st start on Saturday at the track. He has two top fives and ten top tens. His best finish also came earlier this season where he finished third. He's led a total of 135 laps at Texas Motor Speedway. His average start is 12.8, while the average finish is 12.2. Now your top seed, Chase Briscoe, heads to the Texas race in the most comfortable spot of everyone while he is locked in to the championship four at Phoenix. Briscoe has four starts at the track with two top fives and two top tens. His best finish came earlier this season, finishing runner-up to his Ford teammate, Austin Sindrick. He has an average start of 13.2 with an average finish below 10 at 9.8. Okay, next up, let's take a look at some stats at Texas Motor Speedway. There's only two races left to see who's going to be fighting for a championship at Phoenix Raceway. Chase Briscoe, of course, is the only driver who's locked in because of his win just last week at Kansas Speedway. This will be the second time this season, as we've mentioned before, that the series takes on Texas Motor Speedway. The track is 1.5 miles with 20 degrees of banking in the corners, 1 and 2, and 20 four degrees of banking in corners three and four. The dog leg has five degrees of banking as well as the back stretch, and the front stretch is 2,250 feet uh, with the back stretch at 1,330 feet. Kyle Busch holds the race record at the track from April 5th of 2008 at 151.707 miles per hour. Bush also holds the record for the most wins. He has a total of nine. He also has the most poles with four. He has the most top fives with 16. And he's tied with Kevin Harvick and Matt Kenseth for the most top tens at 17. Now, Ford and Toyota are tied for the most wins by a manufacturer. They both have 13. And only six of 38 Xfinity races run at Texas have been won from the pole. So earlier this season, Austin Sendrick won the race and led 44 laps. Justin Allgauer won both stages and ended up finishing third, while Briscoe finished in second. The race had nine cautions for 29 laps and 15 lead changes. The margin of victory was point nine four nine seconds. So uh, some pretty tight racing uh, can happen out there at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, with some pretty interesting stats from the drivers. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Chase Briscoe. Uh, we talked about him moving up to the Cup Series here in 2021, but he brought home another victory and advanced to that championship four. He was victorious for the ninth time this season last weekend at Kansas Speedway. He swept both stages, led 159 out of 200 laps, 
uh, total and punched his ticket to the final round of the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs. Finishing second to Briscoe was Daniel Hemrick in the number eight junior motorsport Chevrolet, a driver who's fighting for a ride in the 2021 season. Now, Ryan Sieg, another playoff driver and a considerable underdog in the series, finished third. Playoff driver Justin Haley finished fourth. NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series regular and playoff driver Austin Hill came home and finished fifth. Josh Williams had a career day at Kansas while he finished sixth. Brett Moffitt, another Gander RV Trucks uh, playoff driver, finished seventh. Michael Annette was eighth. And then playoff drivers Brandon Jones and Austin Al- or Justin Algar uh, rounded out the top ten. You keep trying to name that poor boy. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> We're working on it. We're going to change. Hey, all the sponsors change names. I'm just trying to try change driver names. Uh, there was a total of ten caution flags in this intense battle there in the heartland for 45 laps with ten lead changes among six different drivers. We talked about playoff drivers Noah Gregson and Austin Sindrick. They were involved in an early on-track incident, which ended Gregson's day early, resulting in the 28th place finish for Sindrick, putting both of them in a little bit of a points deficit, obviously Noah Gregson more than Sindrick. Now looking ahead to Texas this weekend, though, uh, Sindrick took home the win earlier this season, and Christopher Bell won this race last season for Joe Gibbs Racing. Race will be 300 miles, 200 laps, stage one ending on lap 45, stage two on lap 90. Briscoe will lead the field to green with Haley joining him on the front row. Jones, Sieg, Algar, Chastain, Sindrick, Jeb Burton, Gregson, and Annette will also start in the top ten. Okay, so uh, another race I'm definitely looking forward to watching this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, The third race in the NASCAR's Top 3 Series, of course, is the NASCAR Cup Series Auto Trader Echo Part Automotive 500 that will take place this Sunday, October the 25th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC Sports Network will start their pre-race coverage at 3, along with PRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 501 uh, miles over 334 laps, Stage 1 and Stage 2 are 105 laps each, with Stage 2 ending on two, lap 210 and the final stage ending on the last lap, lap 334. Okay, All right. So uh, we got quite a few notes here. Oh. Well, one of them is we'll a repeat, the, the Chase Briscoe. Okay, let's go ahead okay. and talk about I, the, I mean, I, Eric. I misread that. Uh, one of them is the Chase Briscoe news, which we already read from the Xfinity series. The other one is Richard Petty Motorsports tapping Eric Jones to drive the number 40, famous number 43 in 2021. They made the announcement this week that Eric Jones will join the organization in 2021 as the driver of the number 43 Chevrolet Camaro ZL11LE in the NASCAR Cup Series which was made famous by NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty. It's, uh, Jones has signed a multi-year driver agreement with the team, and I know they will still be associated with uh, Chevrolet and Richard Childress Racing as well. All right. So Chase Briscoe, as you mentioned, we mentioned this earlier, he's going to pilot that number 14 for Stuart Haas Racing next season. And... Uh, 
where the eleven time Xfinity Series race winner will drive the team's uh, number fourteen Ford Mustang. So that was big news. Uh, Chase going to take that jump up to the Cup Series this season, uh, and I think that puts him in really good position, Jay, uh, for that Rookie of the Year title. It obviously does. We haven't heard a whole lot of other news, but uh, we'll have to wait and see as the final shakedown. There's still some seats and uh, drivers to be announced. Uh, We'll get to a little bit of that in Hot Topics. Okay. Uh, next up, we're going to look at the uh, playoff drivers and uh, their stats at Texas Motor Speedway. So do you want to go ahead and start that? or? All right, and I'll take the bottom two here. Fortunately, we've got to start with the number one Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet there of Kurt Busch, as he was struck by bad luck this last weekend at Kansas to open the round of eight when the power plant to his Chevrolet expired mid-race leaving him with a 38th place result. The Las Vegas, Nevada native is now eighth in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, 73 points back from Chase Elliott in the final championship four transfer position. In a must-win situation, the veteran Bush is not giving up, though, and is ready to lead his team. Uh, Bush has has found success at Texas. In 35 starts, he's put up a one win coming in 2009, three top fives, and 22 top tens. Not to mention, Bush ranks in the top ten in several pre-race loop data categories at Texas, with an average running position at 13.156, which is eighth best, a driver rating of 90.5, which is eighth best, and 6,824 laps in the top 15, 66.0%, which is fifth most. Bush finished eighth at Texas Motor Speedway earlier this season. Sliding up a position, there we got the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, driven by Martin Truex Jr. Now, he finished ninth last weekend at Kansas to start the round of eight. Now finds himself, though, seventh in the Cup Series playoffs, 31 points back from Chase Elliott in that final championship four transfer spot. The 2017 Series champion is looking to make the championship four for the fifth time in his career. He did it in 2015 and then 17 through 19. Texas is a track where Truex has yet to win at, but he's made 30 starts, collecting four top fives, 16 top tens. He's run very well at the 1.5-mile track. His rankings inside the top five in several pre-race loop data categories at Texas back that up. His average running position is 12.463, which is sixth best. Driver rating is at 93.4, also six best, and 6,832 laps in the top 15, putting it at 68.3%, which is fourth most. Truex will be hoping to rebound from his performance at Texas earlier this season, however, where he finished 29th. Okay, next up we have Alex Bowman in the number 88 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. He kicked off his round of eight with an impressive uh, finish, uh, finishing third behind Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick at Kansas. Now the 27-year-old driver from Hendrick Motorsports is sixth in the playoff point standings. He's 27 points behind the championship four-round cutoff. And 
Like his teammate Chase Elliott, Bowman is also looking for his first berth in the championship board. Looking to Texas this weekend, Bowman's made 10 starts there, putting up one top five finish, a fifth in his in this playoff race last season. And Bowman is also in the top 30 of several key pre-race loop data categories at Texas with an average running position of 24.153, 26th best, a driver rating of 60.1, which is 24th best, and 1,073 laps in the top 15, which represents 32.4%. That's 20th most. And Bowman will be looking to improve on his first stop at Texas this season when he finished 30th due to an incident back in July. Next up is Chase Elliott, and they're showing him below the cutoff line here. Uh, He's driving the number nine Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. Following a sixth-place finish at Kansas, he's landed fifth in the Cup Series playoff standing, the first spot outside of the championship four cutoff. Elliott is on a quest to make the championship four round for the first time in his Cup Series career, but is currently eight points behind Brad Keselowski in that final transfer spot. Now, Elliott has made nine series starts at Texas. He has two top fives, has five top tens, plus the Georgia native falls into the top 15 of several pre-race loop data categories at Texas. He has an average running position of 12.777. That's seventh best. A driver rating of 88.6, which is 10th best. 2,229 laps in the top 15, that's 75.1%, which is 13th most, and Elliott finished 12th at Texas back in July. All right, going above the cut line, there is the number two Penske Ford of Brad Keselowski. Uh, He might be walking in with a little pep in his step this weekend after his fourth-place finish at Kansas to open the round of eight helped him leapfrog over Chase Elliott to the fourth spot in the playoff standings. Now Keselowski sits in that final transfer spot to the championship four, eight points ahead of Elliott as he looks to make the championship round for the second time in his career, first coming back in 2017. Michigan native now turns his attention to the Lone Star State where he's made 24 series starts, posting five top fives and nine top tens. Kozlowski also ranks in the top 15 of several pre-race loop data categories at Texas. Average running position is 16.430, which is 15th best. The driver rating is at 85.6, which is 13th best. And 4,279 laps in the top 15, 535 which is 10th most. Kozlowski finished ninth at Texas Motor Speedway earlier this season. And we'll look at championship uh, favorite, if you will, almost, Denny Hamlin, for the number 11 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He'll be looking to rebound this weekend, though, at Texas Motor Speedway after bouncing off the wall at Kansas Speedway, which resulted in a 15th-place finish to start that round of eight. Now the Virginia native Hamlin is third in the playoff standing outlooks, 20 points above the championship four cutoff. Hamlin is looking to make the championship round for the third time in his career. She did 2014 and then in 2019. 
at Texas. Hamlin has made 29 series starts, accumulating three wins, which included a 2010 sweep, and then the spring of 2019. He's also accumulated seven top fives and 13 top tens. Hamlin is also in the top 12 of the key pre-race loop data categories at Texas. His average running position is 14.456, which is 10th best. Driver rating is at 88.6, 11th best. And 6,076 laps in the top 15 gives him a 62.8% 7th most. But Hamlin will have his work cut out for him this weekend. The 39-year-old finished 20th back at Texas earlier this season. Okay, I would say another championship favorite this year is Kevin Harvick in the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford. Now, he conceded after the race last weekend at Kansas that Joey Logano literally blocked him from his 10th win of the season. And now the NASCAR Cup Series playoff standings leader finds himself 41 points ahead of the championship four cutoff heading into Texas. Now, Harvick is looking to make... Uh, the championship four for the sixth time in his career. He did it in 14, 15, 17, 18, and 19. And arriving in Texas this weekend, Harvick has made 35 series starts at the 1.5-mile speedway. He's posted two poles, three wins, last three playoff races in 17, 18, and 19. He also has 12 top fives and 23 top ten finishes. Plus, the Stuart Haas Racing driver from California is in the top five of several key pre-race loop data categories. At Texas, he has an average running position of 11.947, that's fourth best, a driving driver rating of 97.8, which is fourth best, and 7,450 laps in the top 15 which represents 72.1% the series most. Harvick finished fifth at Texas back in July. Next up is Joey Logano in the number two, Team Penske Ford. He's catapulted himself into the championship four round with his big win just last weekend to open the round of eight at Kansas Speedway. Now, this is the fourth time in Logano's career that he's qualified for the championship four round. He qualified in 14, 16, 18, and 20. Um, in in uh, 2018, the 2018 NASCAR Cup Series champion now has two weeks to prepare for that season finale at Phoenix. Looking to this weekend at Texas, though, uh, Logano's made 24 starts there, putting up one win in 2014. He has 11 top fives and 13 top tens. He's also ranked in the top 12 of several key pre-race loop data categories at Texas. He has an average running position of 14.624, which is 11th best, a driver rating of 90, which is 9th best, 4,773 laps in the top 15 at 59.7% ninth most, and Logano finished third just behind RCR teammates of Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick at Texas earlier this season. So I think that makes him one of the favorites for Sunday's race. Well, I don't know how many favorites we listed there, but I uh, should end up to be a great <laughs> championship four when it comes to Phoenix, that's for sure. Yes, indeed. Now what we're going to look at here, 
for the clinch scenarios for the Elite Eight coming into the Lone Star State, with just two races left to decide who will clinch the final three remaining spots in the championship four round. We already know with his win at Kansas last weekend, Team Penske's Joey Logano became that first driver to do so. If there is a new winner, though, the following driver being 56 points above the second-place winless driver in the standings, that would be Kevin Harvick, and he can only do it with help. Now, if there's a repeat winner, they could clinch by being 56 points above the third winless driver, or if there is a new winner amongst Kevin Harvick or Denny Hamlin, then they need to be 56 points above the second winless driver in the standings, and those two drivers are now Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin. If one or the other of them wins, the other could clinch on points with some additional help. Okay, now we mentioned Joey Logano that being the first to lock into the championship four uh, because of his impressive performance holding off the nine-time 2020 winner and Stuart Haas Racing driver Kevin Harvick, Team Penske's Joey Logano grabbed the checkered flag at Kansas Speedway and jumped to the top of the Cup Series playoff standings, becoming the first to lock him into the championship four. That move has sent, ripple, has sent ripples throughout the postseason points as the 2018 series champion Logano entered Kansas seated fifth in the playoff points and five markers be back from the cutoff line for the championship four. Now the 30-year-old from Middletown, Connecticut, can hit the cruise control and start to prepare for the season finale race at Phoenix Raceway, which Logano just so happens to be the most recent winner uh, of that track back in March. Now, making the championship for a round is pretty tough. Only 10 drivers have accomplished the feat since the inception of the Elimination South format in 2014. Logano's win at Kansas last weekend has locked him into the championship for a round for the fourth time in his career. He did it in 14, 16, 18, and now this year, 2020. Well, I think the key thing to remember out of all that is he was the winner here back in March. So that kind of puts a, an additional tag onto his chances when it comes to the championship four. Okay. All right, when we take a look, take a look at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. In total, Texas Motor Speedway has hosted the NASCAR Cup Series 39 times, producing 25 different pole winners and 20 different race winners. The first race, the first NASCAR Cup Series race at Texas Motor Speedway was on April 6, 1997. The event was won by Jeff Burton. Chip Ganassi's uh, racing's playoff contender, Kurt Busch, leads the series in poles at Texas with three coming in the spring of 2015, the playoffs in 2017, and then again in the spring of 2018. A seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, Jimmy Johnson, leads the series in wins at Texas Motor Speedway with seven victories, coming in 07, 12, 13, 14, a 15 sweep, and then again in 2017. Earlier this season, though, at Texas Motor Speedway, it was Richard Childress Racing teammates Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick, who finished 1-2 respectively. This weekend, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick will lead the f- field the green flag with last weekend's Joey Logano 
on the outside of the front row with him. Dylan will start 12th and Reddick 19th. Okay, some interesting stats there with regard to uh, going into Texas Motor Speedway. Now, um, flip the switch on the big host TV. The Cup Series playoff is headed back to Texas. Uh, Dust the cowboy hats off in victory lane and fire up the big host TV on the backstretch because the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs are headed to Texas Motor Speedway this Sunday, October 15th for the Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500. Now, the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs began in 2004, and Texas Motor Speedway was added to the postseason in 2005. That replaced the race at Darlington Raceway. Texas Motor Speedway has hosted the eighth race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs since being added in 2005. Only two tracks have hosted the eighth race in the playoffs. Uh, Phoenix Raceway uh, was in the playoffs inaugural season 2004, and then Texas Motor Speedway from 2005 to the present. Six different drivers have won the NASCAR Cup Series playoff races at Texas, led by Jimmy Johnson with five victories in 2007, 12, 13, and 14, and 15, followed by Kyle, Carl Edwards in 2005, 8, and 16. Kevin Harvick uh, won when 2017, 18, and 19. Tony Stewart in 2006 and 11. Denny Hamlin in 2010. And Kurt Busch in 2009. Seven different drivers have won the eighth race of the NASCAR Cup playoffs. The six winners at Texas Motor Speedway include Dale Earnhardt Jr., who won at Phoenix Raceway in 2004. Kevin Harvick has won the last three consecutive Texas playoff races and can tie Jimmy Johnson's record of four consecutive with a victory this weekend. Three times the winner of the eighth race of the playoffs has gone on to win the title later that same year. All three were at Texas Motor Speedway. In 2007, Jimmy won from the eighth starting position at Texas and went on to win his second Cup Series title later that year. Uh, and he won in 2006 and 7. The playoff win at Texas was his third of four consecutive victories in the 2007 playoffs and the only driver to win four straight in the Cup Series postseason. He won at Martinsville, Atlanta, Texas, and Phoenix. In 2011, Tony Stewart won from the fifth starting position at Texas and went on to win his third Cup Series championship later that year. The Texas playoff win was Stewart's fourth of his record-setting five Cup Series playoff wins in a single postseason run in 2011. He won at Chicago, New Hampshire, Martinsville, Texas, and Miami. In 2013, Jimmy Johnson won from the third starting position at Texas and went on to win his sixth Cup Series championship later that season. The Texas playoff win was Johnson's second postseason victory, uh, after winning at Dover in 2013. The worst finish in the eight NASCAR Cup Series playoff races by a driver that went on to win the title at Texas was 38th by Jimmy Johnson in 2009, and at Phoenix Raceway it was 10th by Kurt Busch in 2004. 
The 2008 Series champion Joey Logano finished third in 2018 Texas playoff race, and last he was last and last season's champion Kyle Busch finished seventh in 2019 Texas playoff race. Three times a non-playoff driver has won the playoff race at Texas. In 2006, that was Tony Stewart, who was ranked 11th in the point standings at the time of the win. In 2014, Jimmy Johnson was 11th in points at the time of the win, and he made the playoffs in 2014 but was eliminated in the round of 12. In 15, Jimmy Johnson was 12th in points at the time of the win, and Johnson made the playoffs in 2015, but he, again, was eliminated in the round of 16. So uh, some uh, heavy-duty racing taking place in the second race of the round of eight, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot more intensity. Uh, We certainly are, and uh, looking at some of these stats, Think about Kevin Harvick going for his fourth straight win, as well as a couple others who have some uh, good stats. Joey Logano's got nothing to lose other than to win the race, so that puts him in a dangerous category as a driver when you know that's all you got mm-hmm. is to go after the win. Exactly, and it keeps one of his other competitors uh, from uh, clinching that spot. So, Jay, I do have some um, re- recording here for a pre-race. For Texas Motor Speedway, including Martin Truex Jr., Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch, and Daniel Suarez. So who would you like to hear from? Wow, that's quite the option. Um, actually, I think uh, let's go with Martin Truex. I know he's kind of in a precarious situation. He's got two good tracks coming up, but he's in a, a dire point spot. So let's hear from Martin Truex Jr., Okay, let's hear what he has to say. Martin Trex Jr. in the number 19 Auto Owners Insurance, Toyota. There we go. We are now joined by Martin Truex Jr. And we're going to go straight into questions. And our first question will come from Bob Pockers. Go ahead with the question, Bob. Yeah, Martin, thanks for joining us. Um, there was a situation on Sunday where Chase Elliott was having trouble hearing his spotter. NASCAR felt like he had had enough communication to leave him out there. But I'm curious, do you consider having communication with your spotter as a safety issue and something that NASCAR NASCAR said they would black flag somebody if they felt like they didn't have it? Is it something that, that deserves a black flag? I don't think so. I mean, in my opinion, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a tough one to judge on there. You know, I think the spotter safety part is more for what, you know, when crashes happen or when safety vehicles are on the track or not so much just racing and driving the car and, and you know, trying not to cause any issues. So um, I guess it could be just depending on the situation, um, but definitely a you know tough one to call. Obviously, I guess it's, uh, you know, it is a rule that you have to have a spotter. Um, and But we've seen in the past where guys have radio issues, and I don't know that we've ever seen anyone uh, black flag for it. So definitely uh you know, kind of a ball and strike call, I suppose. Thank you. Our next question will come from Jordan Bianchi. Go ahead with your question, Jordan. Uh, Martin, I'm working on a story on uh, Joey Logano, and I'm wondering, from your perspective, are you surprised that Joey Logano is not more uh, a more of a fan favorite? Uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, you know, he's been in a lot of altercations with uh, a lot of a lot of drivers, so I guess 
crazy situation there. But uh, he does a good job, obviously, and wins a lot of races. So, you know, I don't know that, uh, you know, he makes decisions in the race car based on how many fans he has and if he gets booed or not. Thank you. Our next question will come from Claire B. Lang. Go ahead with the question, Claire. Thank you. Thank you. I love it that you're doing your Zoom from the boat. It's pretty epic, and it sort of, I think, speaks for who you are, that you're chill and you got life in perspective. How do you look at this weekend? You start sixth and you're seven in points, 31 from the cutoff in your boat today. Yeah, I feel good about it, honestly, to be clear. I mean, uh, you know, I, we were really strong in, in the spring Texas race, uh, feeling like, you know, the last – I guess two seasons or whatever, we've been off a little bit of Texas and had some struggles. Um, went through this spring and, and felt really good about things, thought we had a shot at it, and I ended up getting crashed on a restart. So, um, you know, optimistic about it. You know, I think James feels good about it, and uh, really the next two weeks I feel good about. So we're we're not a great position points-wise. We need to, uh, you know, we need to make something happen, but I'm you know, definitely feeling like we, uh, we've got that opportunity to do it and, and the potential to do it. Okay, well, your thoughts about uh, Martin Truex's comments? Uh, nothing like putting him on the spot there, huh? I found it ironic there. It was the third question asked of him before he got to talk, talk about himself or his own race team. The first one was about Chase yeah. Elliott and his radio problems. Second one was about Joey Logano, but um, the Chase Elliott, the radio thing, uh, his first statement was he didn't think it should be a black flag thing. I know he kind of backtracked and said, yeah, yeah, you don't know what, as it developed, and maybe it is ne- more necessary. But he's right. It is a, a balls and strike call of how dire the situation is. I mean, if they got no communication versus limited, how much? And I know we talked about that as far as NASCAR happened to make that call. The uh, the second one about Joey Logano, uh, I had seen some uh, Twitter remarks on that. It was kind of funny. Um I find it ironic there are certain drivers who are aggressive and, and take no prisoners that are fan favorites, and then you have the likes of Dale Earnhardt, who was the same way and for a while wasn't liked, but then was liked. So I think Logano kind of falls into that, and I do like the fact that he's not out there trying to make more fans necessarily by how he drives. He does what he does off the track and whatnot in support of the fans, but when it comes to driving, he's driving there to win. So I like that he maintains that. Getting to the question no. of Truex, he said it himself. The next two tracks are really good for tracks for him. He hasn't won yet at Texas, but his stats are good, with the exception of looking back at this last year uh, race earlier in the season. But he knows where he's at is Martinsville, too, and knows that team is capable of winning at either one of those two. So that's where his focus is. The points, he knows where he's at there. They may shake out where it plays out in his favor, depending on the other drivers but he knows he's got two really good chances to win that race, and he has confidence in his team. Yeah, I like that part as well, the fact that he has so much confidence in what his team is doing, and he knows that they're capable of winning. So that says a lot about uh, Martin Truex Jr. and his faith in in that uh, team and, and his crew chief. So I think that's good. Yeah, I thought it was ironic, too, that he had those two questions <laughs> that had nothing to do with him. Uh, but opinions about the sport, so um, and, and a fellow driver uh, that was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, 
that he was kind of put on the spot there. But, yeah, I agree. Uh, Joey Logano's been one of these drivers. He takes no prisoners and and uh, doesn't make any apologies for for his driving style. He's out there to win races, and that's what he's paid to do. So uh, that's his attitude about it. Everybody knows that's his attitude about it. Fans don't like it sometimes because uh, – there's been occasions where things didn't go quite right, and he ended up taking out some of their favorite drivers. But uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, last year it was uh, the top three and me. Uh, this year it's the top two, and Joe Logano's right in there with him. So, and he's put himself there after being fifth in the series point standings. He put himself squarely into the uh, middle of that conversation with his win last weekend at Kansas. So pretty cool there. And we talked about the, the radio issue with Elliot on the radio show last Monday. So uh, uh, there's uh, no question uh, in my mind about that. But it was interesting to hear uh, another driver's perspective on it. Uh, and maybe that's a little more credence than my perspective because uh, they've been behind the wheel of the of the car. So uh, interesting comments there. Any other driver you wanted to hear from, Jay? Uh, yeah, if we still got time, uh, I, unfortunately, I, I hate to look at it this way, but Kurt Busch is the other one after uh, last week's engine problem, uh, almost already in a must-win situation, I think. So it'd be kind of interesting okay. to hear from him. Okay, let's hear from Kurt Busch in the number one Monster Energy Chevrolet. How are you doing, Kurt? Doing good. How are you guys? Doing really well. We're going to go straight into questions, and our first question for you will come from Claire B. Lang. Go ahead with your question, Claire. Thank you. Kurt, you really didn't have to say anything after last week. That image of you coming out of your hauler with your cap down, pulled down near your eyes and your hands and your pockets and your head down. How did you come out of the race at Kansas? That image will just stay in my mind. You had nothing to do with it, and you had such high hopes. Uh, that's that's just part of the the emotions and the ups and the downs and everything that goes into NASCAR Cup racing. You know, you, you prepare all week, uh, all month to build a car that's going to take it to the next level in this round of eight, and Kansas just didn't turn out all that well for us with the engine failure and uh, the, the things that um, led up to all that. It, it's just part of racing. I mean, everybody prepared at the highest level at Hendrick Engines and, of course, at Chip Ganassi Racing, and we just uh, just didn't have the luck to get to the end of that race and, and to have a shot at winning. Everybody who knows Kurt Busch knows there no. Everybody who knows Kurt Busch knows there's no give up in Kurt, and there's no give up in the monster team. 73 points down. How do you look at it? Uh, I look at it as uh, I like Texas better anyway. So <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to gas it up hard in Texas. Uh, we ran really well there uh, the last few races uh, together as a unit at Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, and what's great is we were in position uh, this spring race. Uh, that, well, actually, it was a race in, in the summer months of July. When Austin Dillon won, uh, we were on the same pit sequence as him. We took two tires just as he did, and he beat us off pit road. So we were that close to having a shot at winning earlier this year. And so that gives us that good motivation, good vibes, and good feel 
to know that uh, we're close, and now we have to execute here in November to do the right things to win with cooler track temps. Okay, Jay, your thoughts about uh, his comments here, Kyle Kirkbush. Well, the the look at the picture that Claire B is talking about it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, yeah, it was a real dejected look. But in his interview, then even right after that, as well as throughout the week, he has maintained such positivity. And I, I don't want to say that they felt like they didn't uh, belong in the championship uh, hunt, but they certainly weren't a top contender. But came on when they needed to and had worked their way in, picking up that victory, advancing, and. You know, even his positivity now towards Texas and, and Martinsville coming up, same thing. They know they are capable of it, so they aren't giving up despite the uh, the odds, the numbers they're looking at of where they are in points. So I love that. I think it's a little bit of a change in what we've seen from Kurt Busch maybe in the past. Uh, so I, I like to see that from a driver. Yes, indeed. I will say I've noticed that too, that Kurt Busch, seems to be in a really good place right now and and, and uh, probably for the first time in his career i feel like he's very very comfortable in his own skin and uh there's no chip on his shoulder and uh he's uh got a good perspective on things so i'm really happy to see that and uh i i think uh you know he's certainly capable of winning at uh, Texas Motor Speedway or at Martinsville, for that matter, as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what he does in, in uh, at Kansas. I'm sorry, at Texas, and again at uh, Martinsville this weekend. So uh, can't wait to see what happens. Okay. We are at the top of the hour. That means it is time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, we will now move forward with that. I don't have anybody else here yet, Jay, so why don't I let you kick us off uh, with the first hot topic here. All right. Well, I think for the first couple, we'll wait and see. Like I said, I hadn't heard from Andy, and there are a couple that I'm hoping that uh, he uh, will be able to join us for, so... I'll go with a couple that are kind of confirmation of what we knew. The first one we'll talk about is the Jordan 2311 team. Uh, they announced the official team name as well as the branding, the logo, and then the car number 23 for the 2021 Cup Series. Yes, I did see that, and I think uh, that is all good news. Uh, I really like uh, they've got the, the – it's, it's, 23 XI, but the XI, of course, is Roman numerals for 11, and they're pronouncing it the 2311 racing team. So, uh, of course, uh, Bubba Wallace is going to be driving that number 23 car uh, next season, and I just think it's all fantastic. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, watching this team and how well they perform. Again, I'm very familiar with Michael Jordan and his competitive spirit and uh, how all of that works out. He has a way of bringing out the best in uh, people. So I think that uh, uh, it's going to be fun to watch him as a team owner in this uh, series and uh, to see what they do as a whole. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's fantastic. I like the name. 
I like uh, everything that they've done so far, so we'll see how it continues to progress. Andy the is going to miss tonight, about... but after that he said okay. he should be good for the rest of the season. Okay, well, that's unfortunate, but uh, and I know Mike kind of said the same thing. I know they've been really busy here, uh, both of them. Uh, their schedules just haven't lined up with us here at Fan for Racing, but uh, it'd be good to have mm-hmm. them back in those final couple of races as we get more breaking news of final uh, questions answered here. Like I said, a lot of what I had tonight was kind of confirmation of stuff we already kind of knew and had talked about. But one thing, when I look at this 2311 team that we've been talking about, the more we talk about it, the more I've been thinking about it, I think what we might see next year with that Bubba Wallace as a driver, Michael Jordan as a team owner, is the impact of that it might have this team coming in and how well they do, the impact it could have on a, the future of NASCAR long term, down the road, mm-hmm. uh, the change in uh, atmosphere, the change in ownerships. We've talked about that as far as some of these team owners we have uh, getting up there in age and maybe looking at retiring or, or handing it off to another uh, generation. So to see that starting now already, like I said, I think this may mark though what down the road fans are going to look at and be like, that's where NASCAR changed or was Mm -hmm. a changing point in their history anyway. Yeah, I agree with you, Jay. We talked about this before too. I really feel like there is a changing of the guard that's taking place over the next uh, year here. And uh, I, I really think that, yes, Michael Jordan is part of that. We've commented about what's going to happen when when team owners like Rick Hendrick and, and Richard Childress and, and some of these other long-term uh, team owners uh, decide to hang up their helmets, if you will, uh, and, and who are the people who are going to succeed them. Well, Michael Jordan is one of those guys that can come in and do that, and you've got Denny Hamlin right there, and I love seeing the drivers uh, coming in and, and uh, taking on team ownership like Tony Stewart did uh, here with uh, Stewart Haas Racing, and uh, now we're seeing that happen, I think, with Denny Hamlin. You kind of get a clear picture of maybe what he wants to do when he retires from uh, NASCAR. So you're right. I, I do feel like this is a changing of the guard uh, and that we are starting to transition, uh, especially when you consider the fact that in 2022 we're going to have the new uh, package that NASCAR is putting together. And a lot of these drivers that have been around for a while, uh, I, th- I kind of envision some of them contemplating whether or not they're, they're ready and willing to go through another car change. Uh, it's taken a lot over these uh, last several years to make those adjustments. Uh, and uh, this is one more adjustment for them to consider whether or not they want to be a part of. So I think that's not just going to happen at the team owner level. I think that it's going to happen also at the driver level, Jay. Well, and I know we talked about that, that, that whether or not that was a factor for Jimmy Johnson um, with that of mm-hmm. this being his final year. Um, and the upcoming change originally scheduled for 2021 and then drop into 2022, um, that that could have been a factor in his decision. And we have seen throughout his career in, in seven championships him have to go through several, and the last couple that it's been 
has kind of been when his performance, not just him as a driver, but the, the Chevrolet team, Hendrick Motorsports, kind of struggled. So, you know, it might have been then that he said, hey, i got to turn this over to the next generation. It's the next generation of cars. Maybe it's time for me to turn it over to the next generation of drivers. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and talk about our next topic here. Uh, going through some of the things that have kind of come out here, some of the newer things. Go Fast Racing today, I think that was today, uh, it was reported that they're moving to a part-time effort next season. So they've been, uh, Archie St. Hilaire made a statement, and I'll kind of go through his statement. It's been a lot of fun over the years, but with the evolution of life, your priorities change. My son and GM, and GM of Go Fast, Mason, is moving on to start his own business in a different industry, and myself getting ready to spend time with my daughter having my first grandchild. I feel it's time to reevaluate the next chapter of my life. It's definitely been great working with Ford and all of our great marketing partners over the last 10 years, and we look forward to continuing with them on a smaller scale going forward. I can't say enough about how NASCAR has built and maintained their business model during the current pandemic and how exciting the schedule looks for 2021. We'll keep four to five cars and anticipate running five to six races in 2021 at tracks that we enjoy and that make financial sense. Now, Joe Folk of Circle Sport will continue to own half of the charter uh, we currently run and will be transferring our ownership in our half of the charter at the end of the season to Joe's new partner, who will be announced in the coming days. We will continue our partnership with Wood Brothers Racing Team on our other charter moving forward into the future and look forward to 2021 season. A driver update will come forward after the remaining full-time teams announce their 2021 driver lineups so uh, some interesting comments there this is for the number 32 go fast racing car and uh at the, the seven seasons in the series uh, they're moving to part-time for next year so i wanted to get your thoughts about that jay well i got a lot of different thoughts in, in different categories under this one first off it's unfortunate for the sport uh to see another team scale back if not leave completely as we saw with uh Jermaine racing as well as Bob Levine racing uh, I hate to see that I understand that from their business side of it uh and personal that that's the decision they got to make which is best for them I do understand and respect that but like I said as for the sport it, it hurts uh especially losing ones that have put in such dedication and didn't quite make it um as they'd like now, that does open the door to other opportunities as we've seen new new teams coming in, and we talk about 2022 with the new car, that that's the goal of that is to see more of that. Um, but I hate to see these ones go away, too. The... Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, no, you go one ahead. of the things I had, had heard, uh, the second part to that is a driver – uh, reading that statement there that they're going to wait until all the other teams full-time uh, teams have their lineups announced, um, kind of have to take what's left and see what they can fill in. 
I had heard Kaz Grala attached to that, which at the time I'd actually hoped that that was a full-time deal, but apparently is not how it's going to play out, whether or not he is the driver in those six or seven races they do opt to do. We'll have to wait and see, but that would be a driver who would have that opportunity to at least get some cup starts after an impressive debut with Richard Childress racing, filling in for uh, Austin Dillon. Final part to me that, and I know I'm trying to think and I can't find it back on Twitter. Uh, the problem, I think it was Jeff Glock talked about this, the whole charter system. And you know what? I'm going to leave that. I'll take that as the next hot topic. We'll just stick strictly with the go fast announcement. And I'll use that. That is a hot topic to follow it. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, yeah. Actually, five to six races is what stuck out to me, uh, that they're only looking to participate in those five to six races uh, that make uh, that, that are tracks that they enjoy and make financial sense. That, that kind of resonated with me. Um, uh, I'm glad to see that they are going to be written those races, uh, I wish it was more, uh, but, uh, again, as you stated, I respect their decision, and uh, it sounds like they have some good things going on there with uh, a different direction for Mason and a new grandchild coming along. Uh, it sounds like he's going to get a chance to really kind of enjoy that, and, uh, you know, I certainly uh, respect that and admire that he's uh, making that a priority. Uh, so I think that's all good. Um, and you're right. The driver, the other thing that really stood out to me was the fact that they're going to wait until all the other teams are announced before announcing who their driver is going to be. Uh, so that I thought was kind of interesting as well. Um, it, it is sad when you see a team, uh, kind of cut back that, to that degree, um, but we do know that we've got some other teams that are kind of stepping in uh, to kind of help fill that void. But when you think about it, those voids sometimes are really hard to fill because uh, there's a certain era. I don't know if that's they're, – they're going to represent an era of NASCAR, I guess is the best way I can put that. And so you hate to see that era end uh with the with these kind of teams. So um it'll be interesting to see what they do in those five to six races. Um it'll be great for Kaz Growl. I'd like to see him get a full time ride. Uh but uh anytime Kaz Growl is on the track, I enjoy watching him race. So Jay, your follow up well, thoughts? The one thing I look at uh and I, I, I hate to say it because I hate to say one team's not as good as the other, but facts are facts. The Wood Brothers yep. did this for, for many years before coming back full-time. You know, eight they went with about eight to 12 races, I think, was their schedule. They put all their effort into those eight and were successful in that style. I don't think Go Fast Racing is a team that has the resources to be able to do it like that. Um, so that's my concern. If it were a different team, I could understand it. Like I said, the Wood Brothers actually were successful at it in the way they went about it. Um, but I don't see Go Fast Racing as being capable of that. And it also then takes away from what was an alliance team with uh, Stuart Haas Racing. Mm-hmm. Well, with, and with uh, Wood Brothers. So we know that uh, Matt DiBenedetto is going to be in that team 
and uh, for next year. So you got to wonder too. Uh, you know, a lot of these alliance teams help support those teams and the success of those teams. So uh, that's got to be disappointing for them as well. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and move to the next one, Jay. All right. Well, with that, and uh, like I said, I believe it was uh, it was Jeff Gluck that kind of hit upon this uh, as far as the the charter system. Go back to when that was brought about. They went from the top 35 in points to a charter system for the top 36 teams in NASCAR. Uh, wasn't a big fan of it. Didn't fully understand it. When it happened, I gave it the benefit of the doubt. I see the benefits to it, but as it has played out, it really hasn't worked the way NASCAR thought it would, in my opinion. And and this is an example of that. I don't know if you followed everything where they said they have half a charter with this team and half a charter leased to this team. They're going to sell their other half of the charter to here. And you're talking about half of a charter, uh, how that comes into play and who's got what. And you can't possibly keep up with it. That was a Jeff Gluck statement. You couldn't even keep up with the regular full charters, and now you got what he called micro charters. Uh, so I don't think the intent of it is being followed through. And I feel like that all the teams did was find ways to manipulate it, especially at the bottom levels to it. Yeah, that part is disappointing um, uh, because – I think that there was a good intent when they put all of that charter uh, structure together. Uh, And, you know, just like when you talk about drivers and crew chiefs and how they uh, look for those loopholes to kind of make things work for their benefit, uh, the same thing I think happened here. And uh, it, it starts to get distorted or convoluted a little bit. Uh, in the process. So NASCAR may need to take another look at that. Um, And as a group, uh, and when I say NASCAR needs to take a look at it, but as a group, including the team owners, uh, I think they all need to sit at the table and kind of have that discussion and uh, see how they can kind of close up those kind of gaps to keep it from becoming more convoluted uh, over time. So uh, it'll be interesting, Jay. Yeah, and this is one, again, I wasn't necessarily in favor of. I am a fan of any race, uh, any series of the fastest car show up. If you have a bad weekend – as I see it, that adds to the drama. And I look back to the 2015 championship. Kyle Busch had to sit out due to an injury, came back with, a, I believe it was a 15-race disadvantage, somewhere in there, uh, 11 or 10 races. Uh, he ran 15. He, he, had, he was out for the first uh, 11, I think is what it was. And he came back and still got himself into the championship and won it. And I, I believe that's where a lot of people kind of switched over to being a Kyle Busch fan. So I just think about it this way. If throughout the year, a team, and I'll pick any top team, Joey Logano, uh, being that he's the one locked into the championship, misses a race. Okay, if he's still the other 25, gets a win, and can be in the championship, I'm okay with that. I understand their intent of they didn't want, and I'll pick A.J. Allmendinger, coming into a team, winning a road course, and then being eligible with that one win to battle for the championship in the final 16 when they go into the playoffs. 
So I understand there's a line there they're looking to stop, but by having the top teams be possibly not in each and every race, I think just adds to that drama, uh, you know, where they're ranked or whether or not they make it in. Once you start the playoffs, okay, then you lock in and give a provisional for a playoff driver um, that hasn't made it in. But throughout the regular season, I think that it'd be okay if, if one race, Joey Logano doesn't make the race or, you know, whatever. Or again, we've seen that in the past, has to get in a ride that did make the race, which case then he's not in his equipment, um, and show the, some true talent of a driver, you know, adjust to another team on the fly. You know, I've seen that at different tracks. Um, so I think there's some things that could be done better. I like you. Like I said, when it first came out, I was against it. The more I learned about it, you're right. The intent was good. I understand that. It just didn't work out good. It sounded good on paper. The application started out good. But as teams do and anybody in, in human nature does, they find that loophole and work it to their advantage. And I think it's gotten out of control. Yep, yep. I, I don't really have anything to add there because I agree. Um, you know, and, and I don't think there's a lot more that I can add. But uh, uh, it, it will be interesting to see if NASCAR does look at that, though, and and what it is that they choose to do about it because uh, uh, I think I think everybody agrees that it's, it's something that needs to be uh, on the table as part of the discussion for improvement. Okay, so anything else you wanted to say about that, Jay? No, I'm good with that for right now. We'll have to see if any any more news or anything else comes out of that. Okay. Um, I'm not really seeing anything else uh, to talk about here. Uh, So what's your next hot topic? Well, I definitely got one that was breaking news because I believe it was to the driver. Josh Berry, a driver for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Super Late Model mm-hmm. Team, doing an interview on Sirius XM Radio, and Jr. called in and let him know that he was going to be a part-time driver, I believe 12 races in the Xfinity six Series next year in that number eight, along with Sam Mayer, who's going to eventually take over a ride full-time there. Uh, but an excellent opportunity for uh, for Josh Berry. Yes, indeed, that is a great opportunity for Josh Berry, and and I'm real happy for him. Uh, what a way to find out <laughs> is to have the boss call up on a radio show and and make that announcement. Uh, uh, you got to wonder if he was in on it beforehand or if it was a complete and total surprise. Um, did you hear it, Jay? I was not listening to it. Uh, that was uh, just via Twitter that I assumed that Josh didn't know it ahead of time because, uh, like I said, Junior called in in the middle of his interview to say, hey, I got some more news for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool uh, of uh, Dale Earnhardt to do that. And, uh, you know, it takes <laughs> it takes a lot of uh, – why not do it that way? It took a lot of uh, pressure off of – uh, setting something up later, and it was a, a really good opportunity. So uh, I like the way that happened, and uh, I'm happy for Josh Berry. And that that's one uh, following along. Uh, again, I follow a lot of a lot of racing. That name, his name, Josh Berry, has come up a lot. We've seen it with Junior Motorsports and that Super Late Model team, uh, just like Kyle Busch does of a development program. 
and seeing that name a lot. I am super excited about seeing him in the Xfinity Series and what he can do because uh, he's been at the top, and I'm trying to pull up his stats, uh, if I can find one that had it, but uh, has picked up several championships there at the super late model level. And I know they threw some other names out there, maybe drivers that have done good at, say, six or at Five Flags Speedway in the Snowball Derby that haven't gotten that opportunity. And that is a shame, but to see the ones that do get that opportunity and the success they can make out of it. So I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun to watch as well and uh, definitely looking forward to it as well. Okay, what's up next? Well, I got one more here that I definitely wanted to talk about tonight, and that might put us right at the 930. Mark may not even go into overtime, yeah. but... Well, let me go RCR, ahead and put Richard. the uh, let me let me go ahead and put the uh, announcement out there, uh, so okay. that if we do get cut off, we've already done it. Uh, just in case we have new listeners tuning in for tonight, uh, live listeners, I want to make sure we let you know that at 10:30 p.m. sharp, that's Eastern time, we will go off the air. But please know that we will continue recording the rest of the conversation, and that part of the conversation becomes part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So when we're finished on the show here, I'll put a note out on Twitter to let everybody know that uh, the podcast is available. What you can do then is go uh, fast forward to the two-hour mark on the player and then hear the rest of the conversation on that podcast. So sometimes you might have to wait a little bit for it to finish downloading uh, before you're able to do that, but uh, be patient. It happens uh, fairly quickly and uh, you'll be able to hear the rest of the conversation. Podcast listeners, of course, it's going to be pretty seamless. You'll be able to listen straight through. But, again, we like to remind people at this time, just in case there's a new listener who doesn't know that that's about to happen here at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. Okay, Jay, go ahead. All right, well, with the announcement that uh, Eric Jones is going to be joining RPM, they would be remaining with Chevrolet. They have a alliance with, Richard Childress Racing, as well as the new team, Trackhouse Racing, with Justin Marks, Daniel Suarez, same thing. And I heard reference that they were going to be pretty much a third embedded team into Richard Childress Racing. They're kind of building a pseudo four-car team or multi-car team uh, without Mm -hmm. having to be the one financially responsible for it, if you will. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? I uh, I think it's, uh, you know, I've seen Richard Childress over the years, and any time they've tried to go up to a four-car team, uh, it has not worked out for them. Uh, they had a three-car team there for a while. Uh, two cars seems to work really well for RCR. Uh, and then anything beyond that, uh, it seems like it's a little bit more of a struggle for them. So this is a – I do applaud them for going and looking at other opportunities and alliances that they can kind of work with uh, to make things work, uh, to support and and uh, all parties involved. So I'm definitely going to be watching this next year to see how that works out. Um, uh, you know, when you think of the history that's wrapped up, uh, with that group with RPM and RCR, uh, you know, both of them having 
a seven-time champion in their heritage. Uh, I, I think uh, there's a, a lot of potential here uh, for that partnership, and uh, I, I'm really anxious to see how that works out for them for next season and uh, see how that all works out. And having Daniel Suarez as a part of that group, I think it's a positive as well. So what are your thoughts, Jay? Well, and we don't know the, the depth of that alliance, if it's a full open notebook, as it would be if it were an actual third Richard Childress Racing uh, team. But we have seen it with uh, with RPM. I think that's a part of what their growth has been. And obviously, Justin Marks coming in as a new team. And I think back to we saw it back in the day with Stuart Haas Racing uh, when they were a Chevrolet team with Hendrick Motorsports. And, you know, Chip Ganassi is now one that still falls under Hendrick. Granted, he's got the full-up four-car team, but like you mentioned, with Richard Childress Racing, it seems to work best with two and then doing the outlying resourcing and conglomeration. And with that, we know that the engine department is going to combine. And Chevrolet, I think we're going to see them work a little bit to get better together as a manufacturer. So I think there's several things in play here that could really make that kind of business model work. Uh, you know, RCR is the established uh, organization, but to have other teams be able to feed off of that and build up. So you might see two or three two-car teams be, if you will, under one banner. Exactly. I, I think uh, I think that's a good point. I think it is a model that uh, I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes on that model for next season uh, to see how that works out. We've seen it work for Junior uh, Joe Gibbs Racing uh, in a couple of cases uh, with uh, Furniture Row Racing. Uh, they have, but it's a different scenario. They've got the four team operation with the outlying uh, affiliations. And uh, I think there's been pros and cons for Joe Gibbs Racing in doing that. But um, I think for these other teams that the four-car model does not work for them, uh, I applaud them for looking at opportunities uh, that may be of more support to them than them going to a four-car operation. So... Uh, it, it, I think a lot of people are going to be watching, uh, not just myself, but a lot of other people are going to be watching to see how that works out for them. And and uh, I think there's a lot of um, uh, anticipation of what uh, drivers like Eric Jones and Daniel Suarez will be able to do on the, in these outlying teams. We know Justin Marks has been a team owner before. Uh, we know how successful he's been. As a team owner before with H. Scott Motorsports, uh, they were very successful, uh, not so much at the cup level, uh, but they had some great success in the feeder series. And uh, uh, I'm kind of anxious to see how Justin Marks does uh, as a team owner in the cup series now. I think that there's a lot of great potential there. So definitely uh, going to be fun to watch. Well, and I think this will play into the, the future long-term again with 2022 and the, and the new car and what NASCAR is hoping the effect of that is for bringing in new owners. Uh, take a look at Spire Motorsports, and they're, they're going to go up to a two-car team. If these teams are willing to come in as a one, maybe two-car team and partner side-by-side, side, maybe not necessarily full-up partner, but ally, 
get an alliance with another stronger two-car team, you know, again, not necessarily making it a one-four-car team, but at least building up more than one organization at the same time. And I think in 2022, if this works out and we see this be productive, you may see a lot more of that in the years following mm-hmm. 2022. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, which is why I think everybody's watching watching to see how this works out. So um, it's, it's, it's uh, an interesting scenario, and I give them a lot of kudos for, for, for checking this out and, and giving it a try, if you will. So, again, I think it's all good. Okay, anything else you got on your list, Jay? No, I think the other couple, uh, like I said, there weren't any that were uh, hot pressing or maybe have to wait a little bit more or come through uh, into next week, see if any more information comes about as far as any of the others. Yeah, I, I'm anticipating we've got some more annou- potential announcements out there. Uh, two big ones, though, with uh, Eric Jones uh, being announced this week and and uh, some of the other announcements, all of a sudden I'm going brain dead here, but um, I know we've we've got more that's uh, in the pike here, and uh, I think you're going to have, <laughs> if we don't hear it over the weekend, I think we're going to hear something by early next week uh, with regard to Kyle Larson and where he might be going. Uh, although I keep reminding myself uh, that Mr. Hendricks said at the end of the season so I, I temper that for everybody uh, in case it doesn't happen as soon as or as quickly as we would like uh, that uh, Hendrick might wait until uh, the very end of the season before those announcements are made. But uh, for me, I'd rather hear it sooner than later. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's really the, the main big one I think we are still waiting on. There might be some uh, some other ones might catch us a little off guard. Uh, some other drivers still, uh, Ty Dillon, Ryan Freese, I know I, I don't think has officially been announced. Uh, a couple other uh, little ones with that you will are teams, again, that are kind of filling in after uh, the major announcements are made and they get to see what's, uh, what's left available, unfortunately. But uh, we'll see a little more of the uh, – other news to follow now that a lot of the bigger dominoes have fallen. Yes, indeed. I know Spencer Boyd resigned. Uh, so, you know, I was quite happy for him to see that, but uh, you're right. Uh, that's, that's the biggest one I think that's on the table right now. And we've got some others that we're waiting on. Uh, Corey LaJoy, we still don't know where he's going. So yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. There's more news in the pike. Uh, that uh, over the next few weeks we're going to be hearing. So with that, Jay, let's go ahead and do our our, uh, table discussion here to close out the show. All right. You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And just give a quick shout-out here uh, and on a positive note, the finalists for the 2020 Comcast Community Championship of Year of the War Champion mm. of the Year Award. Uh, Bubba Wallace, driver right now at Richard Petty Motorsports. We know he's moving on to the 2311 team there, uh, and the Live to Be Different Foundation. Clay Campbell, Martinsville Speedway president, the Cam- Campbell Family Foundation, and Matt Colleg, owner of Colleg Racing and Colleg Charitable Giving Programs, 
all three finalists for that award this year. Uh, great to see, and any one of them ends up winning it. Uh, great contributions to the community through their charities. So that's my good Absolutely. news to end on for tonight. I think that's a good one, Jay. Um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter. We are Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, uh, including our website, fanforacing.com. Um, and uh, definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing. It's all starting to wind down, Jay, uh, and uh, that means that the, we're going to know who our champions are in these three series uh, uh, in the next three weeks. So it's going to be it's going to be uh, fun to watch these playoff races. Um, and we've talked about how the intensity is going to tick up that much more. Uh, but especially so next weekend at Martinsville, I think, which is going to be the elimination race. Uh, and a lot of drivers really competing hard for those final spots in that final four in all three series. So I think we're in for some surprises. I don't think it's all going to be uh, what we expect. And uh, I think that's going to make it all the more interesting to uh, stay tuned to what happens. So a big shout-out to our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in each and every week to hear what we have to say. Uh, We always have a lot of fun putting together the uh, uh, review show on Monday, the preview show on Thursday, and, of course, our Hot Topic Sound Off segments uh, at 9.30 Monday and 10 o'clock on on Thursday. So uh, thank you again for tuning in, and thank you to our Fan for Racing crew. We appreciate each and every one of you as well. Uh, we've got, uh, hopefully I'll hear from Owen here with the cash and pass uh, article for this week. And uh, uh, you can watch for Sam's recap to come out on Monday morning. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. Uh, we do have a guest. Uh, let me just uh, restate. Uh, we have at least one guest for Monday night, Jake Drew, with Bob Bruncati Racing. Uh, has won some races, uh, and this is where we hear names that don't sound familiar now but could become familiar in the next few years. So uh, this is an opportunity to learn more about Jake Drew uh, with Bob Bruncati. Uh On Monday night, he'll be on at 840. And then also we're hoping to have uh, at least one of the winners from the ARCA Racing uh, West series, uh, that is racing their double header this weekend. So stay tuned for that news as well. And then, of course, our preview, preview show on Thursday night next week, too. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, Jay. All right. Well, pleasure as always. Look forward to the weekend of racing. And then come Monday and Thursday for our review preview as well as our hot topics. Uh, I know you talked about the uh, the planning and, pre- and preparation that goes into the, the two main shows. I was like, Hot Topics, uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot of preview in our process that goes into that. <laughs> I know I don't. I just get fired up and let rip what uh, comes to mind with some semblance of control. Unless Mike's on, then I, then I get out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's been fun doing it with you the last couple of uh, shows here. Uh, I know Andy said he'll be with us next week. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I think Mike as well said that uh, probably next week he'll be able to be on and maybe for the, through the end of the year here 
for our review and preview shows. So uh, definitely looking forward to having them back on air with us. And uh, again, we'll just say good night at this point, and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side Monday night. Yes. Good night, everybody. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.